Salt Company. Hello. It's been a while. I missed you guys. It's good to see you. And, and Kaylee is like so nice and sweet, and I'm so glad that she like is saying nice things if you missed the retreat, but you really did miss out if you weren't there. This is the highlight of my year so far. Like, and and you, you know it was a good retreat if six days later you're still sore, which, which is the case for me. So if you were there, we played football, and the grass was wet, and I had slick shoes, and when you get this body moving, it's hard to stop it. And so I just, like, normal football catch, just try and, like, run up the field. Whoop, I'm on the ground. Try and throw a block. Whoop, I'm on my butt, like, tailbone. So I'm, I'm hurting, but it was 100% worth it. It was awesome, guys. Um, yeah, just, like, a highlight of my year. So thanks for, thanks for coming. It was, it was sweet. Um, guys, tonight I'm, I'm excited because we're going to start our, our first series just kind of going through a book of the Bible, which is kind of our regular practice at Salt Company. That's typically what we do. So we've been doing our foundation series to kind of let you know who we are. But for the rest of the semester, we're actually just going to open up the book of Colossians, and we're going to see kind of what it has to say to us. And this is, this is one of my favorite books, and, books of the Bible. And, and here's the, the theme of Colossians is hidden in Christ. And so that's from, that's from chapter 3. And the reason we kind of picked that as the theme is, one, it's just this, this awesome idea. So like, if you've grown up around church, you've probably heard the idea like, ask Jesus in your heart, right? Which, uh, that, that's not all that biblical. <laughs> Sorry if that's offensive to you. Actually, more accurate biblically is that Jesus wraps you up into his life. And I love that imagery that you're, that you're hidden with Christ, like, like you don't even exist any longer if you're a Christian, like it's just him. He kind of wraps you up into himself. And that's called identity in Christ. And that's what a lot of the book of Colossians is about. And so that's why we're kind of titling it that. And, and tonight we're going to go through kind of the first couple paragraphs in Colossians. And, and this is kind of the main point I want you to see. It's, it's really simple but I, I think it's profound. Like this idea has like changed my life, particularly over the last like three to four years. Here's the idea. Christianity is a message that changes everything. Christianity is a message that changes everything. So, so I say it's a, a message and I, I want you to hear that and not just look past it. Okay, it, Christianity, it's, it's not primarily a morality system. Okay, it's, it's not a job description. It's good news. It's a story about something amazing that's happened and how you should respond as a result. And so in Colossians, we're just going to unpack that story kind of unashamedly. We're going to present it to you. We're going to look at it and think it's amazing. And, and this is what I actually want to tell you is if you get it, if you actually get that message, you're going to change. It's going to change your life. And, and so tonight, we're going to just kind of rapid fire through a, a few points, just kind of walk through the two paragraphs, and I want to show you ways that this message, the gospel message about how Jesus has come to earth to save you, changes your life. So, the, so these are the, the ways we're going to be talking about throughout. I want to give them to you on the front end, and then I'll kind of slow down as we get to them. But the message changes. It changes your hope. It changes the world. It changes your life and it changes your allegiance. It changes your hope, it changes the world, it changes your life, and it changes your allegiance. And we're gonna kind of unpack that. But, but before that, like, I, I just want you guys to hear the word of God. 
Okay, so like what we say at Salt Company is based off of what Jesus said. It's not just our opinion. It's, it's what he said. And so I just want to read this, this text to you from Colossians that we're going to be in tonight. So uh, if, you, if you have a Bible or an app on your phone, you can flip to Colossians 1. Otherwise, it's, it's going to be on the screens as well. Colossians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Did you catch that? The saints? Okay, I didn't have time to like talk through that, but apparently I'm talking about it now. I didn't plan on this, but I just think this is so cool. Like he calls you saints if you're in Christ. Like I don't know about you, but like I think of like St. Mary, like, like Mother Teresa, like super holy people, they're saints. He says, actually, if you're in Christ, like you're a saint. St. Colin. There you go. Okay, back to where we're at. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Verse three, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you had for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Second paragraph, verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It's an intimidating phrase. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I can't wait to talk about that one. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of his sins. Okay, so that's our, that's our text tonight. That's where we're going. I want to show you how it changes your life. But before we get into that, I, I want you to notice how he, how he starts this out in verse three. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And then down in verse nine, he says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. I literally haven't stopped praying for you because I'm so thankful for you. You guys pray like that? I don't. I don't even know how that works. Like, look, guys, Paul hadn't even met these people, and he loved them so much that he was constantly on his knees thanking God for them. Like, do you pray like that? And what percentage of your prayers are about you versus what percentage are about someone else? So I was, I was challenged by that. But here, here's what's true, guys, and here's what I wanted to say is this actually reminded me of you. Like, as I was reading through this this week, I just wanted to stop and say, like, man, thanks. Like, your, your faith has encouraged me to follow Jesus this year. Like, I, I, there was people that went to the retreat that went there spiritually dead and came back alive. And that, like, that keeps me going. Like, I, I remember hanging out with Tony before Salt Company even started, and dude was like, yep, I'm in. I'm in on this thing. It's like, really? You haven't even seen this. You don't even know what this is, but you're in, like... There's some of you that have just jumped in from the start and you've made this thing happen. And I just want to say like, man, I thank God for you guys. Like I, 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 I'm praying for you and, 
And actually, like our, if you don't know this, Salt Company is a part of net, uh, a network of churches and college ministries throughout the Midwest. And I think last week, yeah, last week, it's been, a, it's been a long couple weeks, but last week we had a network gathering where we got together all the staff from across the network and we just like told stories. And so I got to brag on you guys and like tell stories about what God is doing. And people across the network are like cheering for you guys. There's people all throughout the Midwest that are like praying for you. And by the way, we took home first prize for best update. So no big deal. Well done. Thanks for that, guys. Um, But I actually just wanted to stop and I I just want to like pray for you right now. Okay. So can I, can I do that? I want to pray for you guys. Jesus, I do. I thank you so much for the people here. Like there's people that like they, they have anything else they could be doing right now, but they're here and, and I'm so grateful. And, and, and this is like a kind of a small thing or whatever, but this is a movement that's starting that I think you're going to change the world with. And man, I'm just, I'm thankful for them. Thanks for Megan. Thanks for the story that you're writing in her life. Thanks that, that she wants to follow you and that she's excited to figure out what that means. Thanks for Xander and for his heart and like opening up to me and just letting me into his life a little bit. Thanks for Will and Jack and for the time I've gotten to, to spend with them and that they've been at like every stinking thing that we've done from the beginning. And that's been awesome just to kind of see them. Thanks for Haley and, and her leadership and um, the way that she's just loving on people, like creating hype around this thing and how she's just a blast to be around. And um, man, thanks for the stories that you're writing. Thanks for the people that are, are giving their lives to follow you. Um, we love you, Jesus. We're, we're thankful. Amen. Man, I just love you guys. It's, it's real life. Okay, moving on. So the first thing, we're jumping back in the text, and the first thing that I want you to see is that coming to know Jesus changes your hope. Coming to know Jesus changes your hope. So when I was in high school, my family and I took a road trip down the West Coast. We started in Seattle, and I just wandered around from coffee to co- coffee shop to coffee shop, and it was amazing. And I went to the fish market, and they, like, launched dead fish around and catch them, which sounds like a terrible idea, but it's actually really fun to watch. And we rolled down through Portland and ate some of the best seafood I've ever had in my life, got through Northern California in the Redwoods. And you can literally drive a car through a Redwood out there. So we did that, and then we hit the one highway, which is, like, one of my favorite places I've ever been. So you're driving on this highway, and on your left is this mountain range, and then it drops off, and there's a cliff, like, immediately to your right, and then it's just the ocean. And so we just had this, like, amazing trip. But there's one moment, like, it was super simple, nothing crazy happened, but that, that like, sticks out of my mind most from that trip. So, so we were um, by Mount Hood in Oregon, and we were walking through the forest and I was with my mom and my sister and they were kind of back hanging out and I decided to just kind of go up ahead and I found this like freshwater, like cold stream that was running down off the mountain. So I'm like, yeah, this has happened. So I took off my shoes and my socks and I just like waded into the stream and I started walking up this freshwater stream and turned the corner and it was, it was fall and so all the leaves were changing and there was like this tunnel of trees over this freshwater stream that I'm standing in and then kind of up the tunnel as I came around the bend was Mount Hood. And I just like looked at this mountain with these like red trees surrounding it and this stream that was coming down off the mountain. And I, and I just stood there. And it was one of those moments, you know, that you like, you like never want it to end. Like you wish you could like 
hold on to that thing forever. And, and it's one of those moments where it's like, man, like this is the way it was supposed to be. You know what I'm talking about? And here's the problem. It ends. Like my sister and my mom came walking up. And I was like, what the heck? Why are you guys here? And, <laughs> and it ruined the moment. And you guys know what that's like. Like, you, you, you get this taste of something, and you try and hold on to it, but it, it never lasts. It always kind of falls through your fingertips like sand. And C.S. Lewis, I think, like, described this idea really well. This is a, this is a quote from, from C.S. Lewis. He said, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. You were made for another world. Those those little tastes of something better than the life that you're living, those are tastes of heaven. It's it's tastes of the world that you were created for, but, but that we don't have, that we've lost somewhere along the way. Guys, we crave heaven. That's our hope. But what are you putting your hope in? Like we crave that and so we try and build these kind of little heavens on earth and, and I don't know what that is for you but maybe it's like finding your spouse or that dream job, the, the American dream with a kind of white picket fence or some interesting life or kids someday or whatever that is. You try and build up this little heaven for yourself here but it's never gonna satisfy you because it's not the real thing. You're craving a better hope than that. That's what you were made for. But, but here's the thing, I think... I think we settle for kind of our little heavens that we make here because we, we forget to think about heaven. I think that might be a f- for a few reasons. One is maybe you just like, I don't know, it just doesn't cross your mind. You don't think of it. But I think some of you don't think about heaven because you have like weird ideas about what it is. Like, you, like it's some like dude playing a harp on a cloud. So here's the thing. Okay, do you know how big the universe is? No, you don't. No one does. Okay, but like hypothetical question... <laughs> So, so like galaxies, the, there's billions of stars in galaxies, and then there's billions of galaxies, which makes like a lot of stars. I don't know. Okay, and God, God just like made that for fun. Like, he just was like, I want to I wanna show you people what I'm like. Here you go, boom, galaxies with billions of stars. That's what he's like. And you think that when he gets to the culmination of his creation, like the end of all human history, that the best that he can do is like a fat baby playing a harp? (laughs) No, like it's gonna be so much better than that. Like it's gonna be, it's gonna be way better than than you can even imagine. Like you can't even grasp it. But, But here's also what I want you to see is it's actually gonna be way similar to this place than you think. It's just gonna be way better. But, but, but here's what's true is the, the analogies about heaven in the Bible are physical things. There's an analogy about a feast, like you're just eating steak for days and you're hanging out with your friends. The, the analogy of heaven is there's a new heaven and a new earth that come together to form new creation. So heaven is, guys, it's a physical place. The, the, the dwelling place of God is going to come down and it's going to meet this place that, we're, that we live and God's not going to just like ditch this world. He's going to remake it. He's going to make it new into what it was supposed to be. And guess what? You're going to have a physical resurrected body. 
Like that's, that's your hope. So we actually follow in Jesus's example in that. He had a resurrected body and we're gonna have a resurrected body like his. And you know what you're gonna do with that body? You're gonna explore this amazing new world that God has created for you. You're gonna climb mountains. You're gonna walk through the city at night and enjoy it. Verse 12 says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And I want to ask you, like, what's, what's the inheritance? Is it the stuff that you get in heaven? Like, I really want a pet lion. Like, I just want, like, a lion that I ride around and that I don't know if you sleep in heaven, but that, like, it sleeps next to me, but it's like a nice lion, so it doesn't eat me. But, but like, is it the stuff that you get? Is it the piles of treasure or whatever? No. The inheritance that you receive is God himself. Heaven would be hell without God because God's the source of all goodness. And there was this idea that I heard three years ago that's been blowing my mind ever since. We tend to think that once we get to heaven, we're gonna kind of know everything. We're gonna have all of our questions answered. Here's the problem with that is God is infinite, you're not, which means you can't possibly kind of understand everything about him in one moment, which means that you're gonna be learning about God for the rest of eternity. And you know why that's good? Is because at that point, sin will be completely weeded out of your life and God will be the best thing in your life. Like the best day that you've ever had, knowing one new fact about God is gonna be 100 times better than that. You're going to grow in joy for the rest of eternity. Like that's the hope that you have if you're in Christ and nothing can take that away from you. You can't even take that away from you. If you're in Christ, you can't sin enough to get out of that. That's the hope that we have in him. So, okay. So that's heaven. He changes our hope. We go from hoping in little things to hoping in that big, grand, amazing thing. Next up, he changes the world. Jesus changes the world. So growing up, we had this, this coffee shop in my my little podunk town, it was like a big deal that we had like a real coffee shop. Although it was actually terrible. If you're a coffee snob, like she would make shots of espresso and just put like, put them in a container and we would use them for weeks. It was a train wreck. Yeah, Haley, that's the appropriate reaction. If you don't understand, just look at Haley's face right now. It's just disgust. <laughs> Made me angry. But, but there was like a coffee shop in our town and me and a group of friends would go and, and hang out at this coffee shop after school. So we'd get there at 3.30 and it would shut down at like five because it's a small town and stuff closes at five. But I knew Grayska was the lady's name that ran the coffee shop. And so she would just leave and be like, ah, eh, just lock it up when you're done. And so me and my friends would like chill in that coffee shop like three days a week till like nine o'clock at night, just hanging out, talking life. And, and one of the things we talked about the most is, like, how do we make our lives matter? So we, like, we would, like, make fun of our parents or, like, adults that were living, like, lame lives and that, that were living, like, boring lives. And it's like, they're in a rut. We're never going to be in that rut. We're never going to be like that. And one of the, one of the girls there, like, uh, wanted to be a movie director. And, of course, she was convinced that that was actually going to happen and so we were like, you're gonna, we're gonna live these awesome lives and then we're all gonna come back and you're gonna like make a movie about us. We're a little cocky. Um, <laughs> but we were dreaming about what it would be like to live a life that mattered, to, to, to be a part of, of changing the world. And we'd, we'd think about what we were gonna do in our summers and these kind of epic trips that we'd take overseas. 
Okay, so I'm, I'm 27. I'm a little ways out from that, but I'm not that far gone. Okay, the most exciting thing that's happened to me in the last two summers is I played church league softball. Like, slow pitch softball. That, like, that, that was it, guys. Like, it, it, it didn't work. The exciting life didn't last. Here's the deal. You're going to get lame. Maybe not as lame as I am, but you're going to get lame. And if your hope for being a part of something significant in the world is living some, like, interesting life, have fun with that. Let me know how that goes in 10 years. Here's what's true is you want to be a part of changing the world, you be a part of the kingdom of God. You know Jesus, you follow him. You be a part of expanding his influence in the world because he's the one that's changing the world. Verse five and six says that the gospel is bearing fruit throughout the whole world, which is crazy in and of itself. Like Christianity pretty much took over the Roman Empire in a couple hundred years, which is nuts. But even crazier than that is that it started in Jerusalem. Here's why that's significant. Is Jesus died in Jerusalem And the basic claim of Christianity was that Jesus is alive. Okay, so if I were to walk in and tell you, Salt Company, I got some some good news. I was walking around campus the other day, and I heard some music off in the distance. So so I I went to see what it was, and I got closer, and I turned around the corner, and and there was this little man with a high-pitched voice wearing a purple jacket singing. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's Prince. Prince is alive! Okay, is that, is that going to make CNN tomorrow? No, why? Because Prince is dead. Sorry if that's salt in the wound. Sorry if it's a little too soon. That was harsher than like I meant it. It was in my head. It didn't sound that intense. Okay, but, but it's true. Dude's, dude's dead. And so if I'm telling you like Prince is alive, I saw him, and you can't convince me that he's dead, we could literally go to his grave. It's like just outside of Eden Prairie. It's actually not a grave. It's an urn. It's ashes. Did I look that up? Yes. Did I get to weird places? Yes. Um, <laughs> but, but you could take me there and show me the ashes. Be like, dude, you're nuts. So when, D, when Jesus died in Jerusalem and there were these random 11 dudes that were claiming that he was alive, I guess it was a little bit more than that, but there was these people claiming that he was alive, the dissenters could have walked them to the tomb and showed them the body. And Christianity would have been stopped cold. But why did it spread throughout the world? Because there's no body in the tomb. Because Jesus rose from the dead. And that news transformed the entire known world. And Jesus to this day, historically, is the most influential figure that's ever lived because that good news has never been disproved. And that good news has been passed down from generations and now it's being passed down to you. If you believe that, it's because it's been passed down from that moment and it's been given to you. That's what changes the world. Jesus changes the world. And look, it's not just like some hypothetical argument. Like, this is real in my own life. Like, I used to be a radically insecure, kind of hopeless dude that didn't know what my purpose in life is. And I still struggle with that stuff, but I'm an entirely different human. (laughs) And, And I haven't done anything to change myself. I just started to know Jesus and he changed everything about me. Like, like I've watched drug addicts get clean. 
I've watched sex addicts walk away from that lifestyle. I've seen atheists see Jesus as amazing and turn from the way that they were living and start following him. I've seen hurting and abused people healed and forgive people. I've seen literally thousands of college students turn from the popular way of living and start to follow Jesus even though they were getting mocked for it. I've seen this movement that started in like Podunk, Ames, Iowa, and that is like spread throughout the Midwest and throughout the country and is spreading throughout the world. College students are changing the world because Jesus is changing college students. And you can be a part of that. And here's what I want to ask you is like, would you stop living for small dreams? Like, would you stop living to make your name great or to get this little heaven on earth that you think is going to make you happy? And would you become a part of this movement that's changed the world, that's flipped it on its head? You know how Jesus wants to change the world? He wants to change it through you. That's his big idea. And somehow it's working. Like he's doing it through you. He's doing it through me. Jump in on it. Okay, Jesus gives us a new hope. He changes the world. But the way that he can change the world through you is he's got to change you first. He's got to redeem you, make you into his image, and then send you back out into the world. So that's our next thing is that that this message about Jesus changes the way you live your life. Okay, so um, let me read verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Okay, so it said that he wants us to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Filled with the knowledge of his will. Here's the deal. I, people tend to be freaked out about like this whole like what's God's will for my life thing particularly in college, because it's like, what are you going to major in? What are you going to do with your life after you graduate from here? Who are you going to marry? All that, all that stuff. And, and so people are trying to ask this question, what's God's will for my life? And they kind of think that he's got this very detailed plan laid out for them, but he's kind of hiding it from them. Like he's a little passive aggressive about it, like little Minnesota ice, little Minnesota, Minnesota nice, Minnesota ice. I butchered it. Roll with it. Okay. So, but he's like a little passive aggressive, right? Like, like, I want you to follow me, but I'm not really, not really going to tell you what you need to do. And so you end up coming with like, up with like weird answers about how you determine God's will for your life. Like, I just have a piece about it, or I just don't have a piece about it, or God closed that door. Does anyone actually know what that means? Because I don't. Like, I've heard that stuff my whole life. And if you just go, what, what in the world does that mean? I don't know how to answer that question. Yeah, okay, I'm going to go on this quick rant. Ladies, if a, this has happened before, ladies, if a dude comes up to you and says, God told me that, that we should date, you have my permission to look back at him and say, that's interesting because God told me that you should grow up and come back to me when you're a real man. Okay? So I don't know why I just got so mean about that. I'm just kidding, guys. I, I'm just kidding. Uh, I get a little fired up about that. All right. All right. So we're bringing it back. God's will for our life. So... So here's the deal. No, here, here's the thing. Is it like genuinely is a hard question? Like what's God's will for my life? And, and I've struggled with this. Like what decisions should I make? How should I live? Whatever. It, it's a hard question. But I heard this illustration that was like super helpful for me from a, a, a guy named Alex Tuckness. And uh, 
So imagine that there's, there's a dad with his kid, with his son, like his little son, and he's like, hey man, like you should go outside and play. It's a beautiful day. Go outside and play. Just make sure you stay in the yard, like stay inside the fence. So the kid goes outside and he comes back in five minutes later, just bawling, just crying. And, and the dad's like, buddy, like, like what's up? Did you get hurt? Did, did you disobey? Like, did you go outside of the fence? And the kid's just like, no, I couldn't figure out what to do. And dad's like, what do you mean? And the kid's like, well, I didn't know if you wanted me to play in the sandbox or on the swing set. And, and the dad just looks at him like, dude, I love you. Do whatever you want. Just stay inside the fence. That's what God's will is like. Obey him. Follow Jesus. Do whatever you want. Yeah, I, so I, I just, I want... I want you guys to kind of rest easy that God has made himself known. He's not like hiding himself from from you. And you actually can know the way to follow him, to be a part of his will. And and, And so I want to tell you God's will for your life. You ready? Know him and follow him. The way that it says it in this text is walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So so how do you actually do that? Well, it says you got to increase in your knowledge of God. Increase in your knowledge of God. I know this is like simple, but I think this is hard for a lot of people. How do you increase in the knowledge of God? You read your Bible consistently. For me, I went back and forth on this for a long time. I tried so hard to consistently do it, and I, and I kept struggling with it. And eventually, I just started going to bed at like grandpa time and getting up early and reading the Bible. I just set a time where it's like, all right, this is my time to read the Bible. And it changed my life. Like, I know way more about the love of God for me just because I've heard about it over and over again in his word. And, and some, of, some of you guys are, like, really freaked out about class. And I just want to tell you, like, it's going to be fine, all right? You're going to be okay. Take a breath. It's going to be fine. I'm glad you want to work hard in class. That's actually God's primary will for your life right now. If you're a student, it's to be a great student. That's how you honor Jesus. But here's what I also want to throw out to you. What if you spent like even half the amount of time and intentionality that you put into learning your schoolwork into learning about Jesus? Like even half the amount. That would pay dividends for the rest of your life. Grow in your knowledge of God. Bear fruit. So work hard in your classes, fight sexual purity, confess sin, lay down selfishness, figure out the unique way that God has wired you to love other people and go love them like that. And then it says, have patience and endurance. Guys, sometimes the key to Christianity is just like, it's just like showing up. It's just, it's just like stubborn refusal to give up on your faith. Like even when you're not feeling it, just endure. So just show up to Salt Company, show up to Connection Group, show up to church, do your best to engage. If you're not feeling it, that's okay. Just keep coming, endure. And God's going to God's going to change you. Love God, obey him, and do whatever you want. He loves you. Okay. The next one, the next thing that, that Jesus changes is he changes your allegiance. He changes your allegiance. Verse 13 says this. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness, and he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
He's delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so the Bible uses this language of, of kingdom a lot. And, 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 and think of it as like there's a king that's ruling over a people and over a, a place, a dominion, right? And, and here's the story of the Bible is that God set up this good kingdom where, where his subjects were well-fed and they loved each other and they loved him. That's how the Bible opens. That's in Genesis 1. He's establishing this new world, his kingdom. But then God does something that's kind of crazy as he looks at us and he says, I want to give you some of my authority and I want you to rule with me. I want you to establish my name and my presence throughout my kingdom. He's like, he's like a dad tossing his keys to his 16-year-old son. And you know what we did? We ran the car into a pole. Like three chapters later, so it starts out in this like beautiful, amazing world that God created. Three chapters later, there's a brother murdering his brother. What happened? Well, we didn't want to be under the authority of God. We wanted to do our own thing. We wanted to be our own authority. And, and here's what we didn't realize is that in trying to be our own authority, we joined a different kingdom with a different king. It was a counterfeit kingdom that was in friction with God's good world. It was at tension with it. And the king of that kingdom is Satan. And we tossed him the keys to this world and he's been running rampant ever since. And, and here's what I want to tell you is religion actually can be one of the biggest components of that counterfeit kingdom. And what I mean by that, this idea of religion, of I'm going to work my way to God. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to show up. I'm going to do good stuff. I, I'm going to be a religious person that actually is warring against who Jesus is. Because what Jesus says is you can't do it on your own, you need me. But when you lean on that, what's happening is you're saying, actually, I wanna stand on my own authority, my own worth, my own value, I wanna be impressive on my own. And you're actually going further into that counterfeit kingdom and it's dangerous because it looks super spiritual. And here's the deal, you're gonna be a part of one of those kingdoms or the other. Like if Jesus isn't your king, like if he's not the, the kind of the ruler of your life, then Satan's your king. It's, it's, it's one or the other. And if Satan's your king, because he wants to destroy you, like, like his, his entire goal is to sabotage your life and to disconnect you from hope. And here's what he does is he makes sin like tasty enough that you'll be distracted from the fact that it's killing you. Sin is honey-flavored arsenic. It's killing you. And so coming to know Jesus is not just to kind of start doing churchy stuff, it's to switch sides, to become a part of a different kingdom, a better kingdom. So I'm, I'm reading this biography on Winston Churchill. So I'm a nerd, and it's like, it, it's a three-part biography, and the one part that I'm reading is like 900 pages long. It's a beast. And the dude, the dude was a weirdo. So he used to like wake up in the morning and go and lay in his bathtub and he'd smoke a stogie and drink scotch at like nine in the morning. And he'd make his servant stand outside and like literally 
lay like by the door and he would, so that they could hear stuff like under the door and he would like yell stuff to him about what he had to do that day or he would like dictate some of his writings like while he's in the tub. That has nothing to do with anything, but I just think it's funny. But he, dude was a weird dude that did some messed up stuff, but, but the main thing that he got right is in between World War I and World War II, he saw what was happening. And he was calling out Nazism for what it is. And so he was like the dude that Hitler was most afraid of. And there was this, this tension between them. And eventually he became prime minister of England during World War II. And him and, and Hitler duped it out. And, and they, were, they were kind of ruling over these two different kingdoms that were fighting for dominance. So imagine if when the Allies win the war, that Winston Churchill is one of the primary like, leaders of this allied force, gets in his plane, and he flies to Germany. And the German army is in disarray. Their, their leader's gone, and essentially all they deserve for what they've done is to be thrown in prison for their war crimes. And Winston Churchill shows up on German soil. And imagine he walks up to him, and he invites them back to Britain. And some of them turn him down, but some of them get in the plane. And they, and they get back to Britain and they get off the plane and all the British citizens have formed like this tunnel and they're like cheering for him and like welcoming him, them into Britain. And Winston like walks them into his place and he puts a medal around their neck for winning the war, which they didn't, that's the point. He puts a medal around their neck for winning the war and he says, I want you guys to be in my cabinet. I want you to, to be kind of rulers with me, advisors with me. And he, and he forgives all of their war crimes and they become full British citizens. That's what Jesus did for us. He went into enemy territory called earth into to a foreign hostile power and he invited us into a new kingdom, a new citizenship and he offered us citizenship into his heaven, into his kingdom. And if you say yes to that citizenship, then your war crimes aren't counted against you. There's no more tension between you and him. You're now a part of this new kingdom with him. To know Jesus is to switch sides, to become a citizen of an entirely new society. And instead of moving forward with evil in the world, you're now a part of the kingdom to push back darkness in the world. Okay, if that was you, if you're that German citizen that becomes a British citizen, how would that change your life? In every conceivable way. Because you have an entirely new citizenship, an entirely new life. If you're a Christian, you're a citizen of a new kingdom. And Jesus will invade every nook and cranny of your life and he's going to make you into his image. That's what he does. And he does it all through a simple message, the message of redemption. I love you. Redemption means bought out of slavery. He bought you out of slavery. That's the message, and it should change everything about you. So in him, you have a new attitude of thankfulness. You have a new hope. You have a new world. You have a new way to live, and you have a new kingdom to enjoy. Let me pray. Jesus, that's such like beautiful truth. Thanks so much for coming to get us. Thanks so much for making us citizens of heaven instead of citizens of darkness. Um, I think I want to pray specifically that you would help us to believe 
that you would help us to, to believe that that hope that we have coming for us is real. And like some of that feels kind of outlandish and crazy. It feels like that to me too, but it, it's real, it's true. We've seen you prove yourself time and time again. And so help us to be people that are walking through life with hope and who can walk through any circumstance and have joy because we know you, because we're citizens of heaven. And would that change everything about who we are? God, would Salt Company not be a place where we show up on Thursdays and walk back exactly the same, but would this be a place where people take seriously the, the idea that you change everything, that, that, that meeting you means something for the way that we live and for who we are? So we want to we wanna celebrate that fact that you've changed everything for us now. We want to worship you. We love you. Amen.